Everybody, and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. This is Jim Marty from Longmont, Colorado, where we had woke up today to uh, about three inches of snow, which is now pretty much melted. But we're very happy about it because it seems to have put out the forest fires that have been going on here for about a month. So uh, that's good news. I've got my partner up in Chicago, Larry Mishkin. How you doing, Larry? Hey, Jim. Nice to hear you. Uh, we're doing just fine here. Um, I have to tell you, I thought that the weather in Chicago could be crazy, but didn't you guys go from like 90 a couple of days ago to snow and now you're going back up to 70 or something? Yes. Yeah, that's uh, Colorado. I was out there um, on the holiday Monday um, covering up plants uh, with tarps with my wife in the garden saying to her, boy, it sure doesn't feel like it's going to snow. It was 90 degrees. And like I said, on uh, we got a little rain came in that night yesterday, converted over to snow and then woke up to uh, fresh snow in the ground this morning. So that's Colorado for you. Summer to winter, just like that. Is there a countdown now for when the, for when the lifts open? Yep. Uh, we'll have some skiing in October, but I usually wait till around Christmas till it gets good. But okay. you know, the old saying is Colorado has two seasons, uh, summer and winter. So that was certainly true this weekend and last couple of days. That's too funny. Well, here it's uh, we've actually gotten a nice respite from the uh, from the heat and humidity, and um, we uh, uh, nice nice and cool actually. So uh, it's been very enjoyable. We've been able to get outside a lot, um, which has been good. We went down to visit my son at Illinois State the other day because uh, his mother wanted to make sure he was doing okay, which is fine with me. And we, we couldn't go into the dorms or anything, so we took him out and we went for a lovely walk down uh, uh, in central Illinois through a very nice forest preserve they have down there. Just beautiful. Great to be outside. Very good. So, um, yeah, we have some things to talk about today. Um, we do. So they finally announced the uh, the winners of um, adult use retail in Illinois. Yes, Jim. It's been a long time coming. Uh, these were announcements that were due on April 1st, and they kept being delayed and being delayed and being delayed. And then, of course, at the very end, we had been told that it was probably going to be sometime around middle September. And out of nowhere, they made the announcements last week on Thursday or Friday. Um we're grateful that they've made the announcements uh, and that, you know, things can start moving forward. But like with uh, many other states that have gone down this road, um, I suspect that there's going to be some dark times ahead. And what I mean is there were 75 licenses available. Nobody won. Uh, The best you could have done was get a perfect score. And there was a number of applications that received perfect scores. And if you received a perfect score, then you made it into the tiebreaker for your geographic district. So good so far, except the tiebreaker is going to be getting your name drawn out of a hat. 
So uh, in, a in a geographic district like Chicago, Naperville, um, which has 25 or 30 licenses allocated to it, if you're in the um, – uh, if you're in the lottery there, if you've made it qualified for the tiebreaker, uh, then your name goes into a hat and they'll, they'll start drawing names until they get to the full number of available licenses for the district. But this means there's, a, uh, there's only 21 groups or individuals that are the owners of all of the potential uh, winners here. So hmm. we had a, a number of groups, a couple of multi-state groups that came in and and, and, and walked away with the full complement of up to 10 licenses that they could get. Um, and, you know, so now they're out there and they're going to have a large number, you know, they'll have 10 licenses and uh, opportunities and or however many they broke it up by geographic region. Um, but there's been a tremendous, tremendous uh, outcry. Uh, we've already had the first litigation filed uh, by a couple of groups that are primarily black owned and they are seeking an injunction to stop the tiebreaker, which is which is scheduled now for, I believe, September 19th, um, claiming that the system was uh, was was not run properly, that there's conflicts of interest, that there was uh, fraud and discrimination. And it does not help that a few groups already figured out and pointed out to the level that the state is now actively looking into it, that all of the applications were scored by KPMG. Mm. So imagine the surprise when people who did not get a license and immediately started doing their homework found out that one of the groups that did get a license had a KPMG partner as one of its partners. Mm. So I suspect that's going to be potentially problematic. Uh, the, the former chief of police of Chicago is attached to uh, a large number of winning uh, of qualifying applications. Um, but the biggest problem seems to be a real lack of what we would think of as true diversity. Uh, there doesn't appear to be any black owned applicants groups that have made it to this stage. And uh, it's going to be very problematic. Um, so, like I say, there's litigation already filed to shut down the uh, the lottery. Uh, there's talk of litigation being filed to invalidate the entire process and make everyone start over with new, better defined rules for social equity to ensure that a certain number of a number of social equity candidates qualify. Um, and you know, I guess not unlike a lot of the. A lot of the pushback that we've seen in other states that have uh, competitive applications and limited number of licenses, uh, you know, the difficult part is that the program really needs to go forward. And if it gets tied up in all of this litigation, um, it, it could really mess things up for people right at a time when the when the the program is really exploding and um, and going off the charts. Furthermore, uh, after being apprised of all of these factors, uh, Governor Pritzker's position is, we'll do a better job next time, uh, right? And they keep emphasizing that uh, these are only 75 of the ultimate 500 licenses that are gonna be issued. And you know, in the, they'll now be able to grow from this round and in future rounds, they'll do a better job and there'll be some rule changes. And nobody uh, from the inside seems to be uh, particularly interested in starting over or changing anything. And so I, I really have to wonder, uh, you know, whether all of this litigation is is really worthwhile or is just going to be a waste of time. Um, you know, my experience is you don't see a large number of changes at the litigation stage. Um, I don't know what your experiences have been on that, Jim, in contested <coughs> uh, jurisdictions. But um, here, you know, it's... Uh, it, it could be the beginning of a very long time if, if some of these people are very committed to, to going forward. Now, as an aside, I will say 
that um, uh, I, I actually represent one of the few uh, individual groups that have qualified for the um, for the tiebreaker, a, a group called Alchemy Curations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a brother sister team. Um, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, social equity candidates, uh, legit. Nobody's questioning their their bona fides in that in, in that department. And they came in with a really, really good story, why they wanted to do this, uh, what benefits they thought they could bring. Um, And it was a great story. I I was skeptical as to whether a group that small really had a fighting chance and and, and was pleasantly surprised to find out that they were one of the groups that did did actually qualify. So, um, you know, that's going to probably keep me from getting too involved in any of the active litigation designed to shut anything down. Uh, but on the other hand, um, I do think that the people who are raising complaints have legitimate complaints. Um, and unfortunately, it, it's, it's problems that many of us have foreseen um, from the time that the law was announced. And they decided that they weren't going to follow uh, standard procedures uh, as set out by the Illinois Constitution, which says that if you have a, a law or something that has to be otherwise uh, monitored or enforced by the agencies in the state, that before the law can go into effect, the agencies have to have public rulemaking. And we didn't have public rulemaking for this for this bill. And uh, the sponsor said that was by design, that they prepared what they called a particularly detailed bill because they didn't want to have to waste the time uh, going through all the rulemaking. So as a result, we went forward with a, a fatally flawed social equity plan. And now we're going to have to bear the brunt of that as people come forward and, and, and raise objections. So we'll, we'll see where that gets us. Wow. <clears throat> so um, see if I caught on to that. So they've announced the winners, but the winners still may not get a license if they don't win a, a drawing out of a hat. Correct. All they've done is they've identified the applicants in each region that have qualified for the tiebreaker. So they actually had an application where they've gotten multiple, multiple, multiple applications that have received perfect scores. And so they just decided that in order to, 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 to move on, you had to have a perfect score. So for each geographic region, every application that had a perfect score gets its name thrown into a hat. And then they'll go through and they'll start drawing names out until they reach the number of, of licenses allocated for that particular region. Wow. Well, makes me realize how fortunate we are in Colorado. Um, you know, the people in the industry say what happened in Colorado will never happen again, which is, you know, we had a wide open cannabis retail and cultivation and extraction back in 2009, 2010 medical yep. Um, with no regulation. We didn't get our regulations until halfway through 2010. And uh, maybe it was even 2011. So, and today, to this day, we're still a free market state. You can go into the MED with a brand new application. And if you have a clean record and a check that clears, you're going to walk out with a license. The only real limitations we have here in Colorado is zoning at the local level. So, you know, the local level has some zoning restrictions on being too close to a school or a church or um, they don't want any additional ones or maybe they I'm working on one right now where a small town in Colorado actually wants an additional dispensary because they only have two right now so very different and then the other shoe to drop up in Illinois is um, no fixes coming in place for the cultivation shortage I know you have the craft 
cultivators at 5,000 square feet or less. But in my opinion, uh, heavily populated states like Illinois, and I'm working on some in Massachusetts, you know, they really need the large scale, you know, 50, 100,000 square feet of cultivation um, to even start to attempt to meet demand. You're absolutely right about that, Jim, and that's part of the issue here too. And and I, you know, far be it for me to to step on anybody's toes. Um, and I certainly give credit, a lot of credit, to all of the medical license holders because they're the ones that had to survive the very tough times of a poorly organized and run medical market, uh, which caused it. Unfortunately, some of them to even have to ultimately drop out. Uh, but the ones who persevered and kept it going, uh, there's no question, and as has always been the case in most states that make the jump from medical to adult use, that the medical people, uh, you know, get a little uh, head start on everybody else. It's kind of a thank you and a throwback and an opportunity for them to really get well entrenched in the industry, and 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 that's happened here. Every uh, medical cultivator and all the medical cultivation licenses were large scale. Um, if you're a medical cultivator, you automatically got an adult use where well, you had to send in paperwork for it, but you got an adult use large scale license matching one for one. Um, and those are the, those are the cultivators that have been providing the cannabis for the adult use program up to this point in time. And will continue to do so until we get announcements on who won the 40 craft grow licenses uh, being defined as a canopy space of 5,000 square feet or less. So you're, you, you raise some interesting points, Jim, because on the one hand, we're already seeing shortages, even with the large scale grow. And it may be that the large scale grows haven't fully hit their potential, uh, but we are been seeing some, some very big shortages. And of course, it's questionable as to how much more uh, quantity a 5,000 square foot canopy system can actually generate. But also for these guys with the 5,000 square foot canopy space, uh, you know, it also raises questions of survivability in a, in a market where uh, a Cresco that, that probably has two um, uh, large scale adult use grows can crank out marijuana, you know, on a, I would imagine a much better cost benefit uh, ratio. And so we, we've been talking to a lot of these potential craft growers about the need to make sure that they've really locked up some good genetics and something that will allow them to stand out uh, in what might become a very crowded field of, of marijuana cultivators in the state. Right, because <clears throat> just did the math, 40 craft growers at 5,000 square feet is only 200,000 square feet. I would suggest Illinois probably needs four or five million square feet of cultivation just to meet, meet demand. Well, you're right. And what's interesting about that is you're right that the entire uh, craft grow program will have canopy space that's the equivalent of two large-scale adult use uh uh, uh, cultivation centers. And and you're right. I think that what we're going to see here very quickly is we're going to need a lot more. The system is already designed to have another round in 2021 uh, with uh, 110 dispensary licenses and 60 craft grow licenses. Um, it remains to be seen whether they will allow any of these new um, uh, craft grows, whether they will again offer large scale one of the things that they've announced that they're going to do with the craft grows is once they have the program up and running, uh, as determined by the uh, Department of Agriculture, each craft grow will be provided three opportunities over a period of X number of years. And each time they get an opportunity, they can expand by 3,000 square feet. Hmm. So they will ultimately have a chance to expand up to an additional 9,000 square feet to have a total of 14. 
um, which will be nice and, and will expand their, their production levels, mm-hmm. but it still falls way short of bringing in more large-scale cultivation centers. Well, that's what, that's a good update on Illinois. So um, let's um, move on and um, got some music things to talk about. Um, yes. We have, as I think I mentioned a prior show, we have a beautiful new venue in um, Longmont, Colorado. It's a craft brewery, big outdoor. Um, it used to be a, a turkey processing plant. And so big outdoor um, venue, stage, uh, good social distancing. Um, most people wear masks when they're walking around. You're required to wear a mask when you go to the bathroom. Um, but uh, saw a band that I really like, known them for several years. They've actually played at some of my house parties in my backyard uh, called uh, Dead Fish Orchestra. And so they do a lot of mashups of Grateful Dead songs into fish songs and then back out again. Um, you'll hear a powerful tweezer and then right into a um, loser. So for people who like fish but don't like the Grateful Dead or <clears throat> like the Grateful Dead but don't like fish, <clears throat> it's a it's a great way to get over your anxiety uh, when you can hear them all back to back and, and mixed up. And the band was so happy and the crowd was so happy to be back at shows. The band, um, Paul Muir, the, uh, who does uh, the lead guitar, said that was their first show since March 3rd. That's incredible. That's great. That's really great. Live music is so necessary. It's wonderful for them to come back. And I do love that. I mean, how wonderful is that, right? If you start seeing a band and all of a sudden you get, you have to start getting used to, you know, to new mashups, right? Mm -hmm. You could, you could think about what you could do with a, uh, a Mike song into Slipknot into Franklin's or help on the way into, uh, you know, Wikipod groove. Mm -hmm. Um, it could, it could really be a lot of fun. It is. It is. I, I like Dead Fish Orchestra. It was great to see them. Yeah, we're starting to get shows here. Um, Dark Star Orchestra just played a sold-out show as well. Yep, and uh, once again, our uh, spot-on producer, Dan Humiston, came up with some good information for us for about, about Dark Star Orchestra, um, who did just recently perform three drive-in shows uh, uh, in New York in Canadagua, New York. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly for all of our listeners from Canadagua. Um, and then the next two nights, they were at Citizens Bank Ballpark parking lot uh, in Philadelphia. Um, and, you know, what's what was great about um, Dark Stars, you never know what you're going to get. So for the first night, they uh, they kind of went with their own set list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the next night was also another one. Uh, that they kind of picked and chose on their own with a, a lot of great tunes, everything you'd want to hear. And then the third night, they they did what they were famous for doing, which was they recreated uh, a Grateful Dead show, this one from September 6, 1980. Um, but, you know, throughout all of these tunes, uh, you got a great, great uh, variety of, of Grateful Dead music. Um, it got really great write-ups and uh, uh, people were very excited about it. And, you know, to me, uh, a band like Dark Star Orchestra uh, is, you know, that that's exactly what we need right now. You know, if they're willing to get out and do the touring, you know, I get that, that you know, that Bobby and the boys aren't quite ready. Phil isn't. And, you know, listen, given their age, that's understandable and the precautions they want to take. But 
you know, a good night with Dark Star Orchestra or J Rad for me is uh, can be just as good, especially right now. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's winding down. It seems like the hospitalizations certainly here in Colorado are way down. I think we're getting down close to a hundred hospitalizations statewide, which is the real barometer um, mm -hmm. of people who are sick enough to be in the hospital. So, um, what else do you have there, Larry? Well, um, besides our uh, our friends with Dark Star and everything else, um, I did want to point out yet another uh, Dan Humiston accomplishment for us is a great article uh, that's out there. Um, and this was uh, in, uh, found at liveforlivemusic.com. And it's a great story uh, for people who are interested in this kind of thing, talking about uh, some of Jerry Garcia's you know, well-known guitars. Um, Everybody, all the great rock and rollers have their guitars. And um, I, I saw that that show at the Met in New York uh, about a year ago where they had the, the instruments of loud rock and roll and they had amazing guitars for everybody. And, and some of them are, are more recognizable than others. But Jerry's always stood out. Um, you know, Jerry's always had a name. They had a theme. They had a story behind them. And, um, you know, that they become something of, of, of dead myth and dead legend. Uh, and as you recall, Jim, uh, when we were lucky enough to have Jay Blakesburg on our show, um, boy, a, a while back now already, um, Jay was able to tell us the story about he, how he was able to help arrange um, to get John Mayer the ability to play Wolf at one of the shows, uh, Dead & Company shows at City Field a couple of years ago in New York. Um, and, and, you know, he gave us a, a, a quick uh brief history behind wolf and uh and and uh, which was a guitar that jerry played primarily throughout the 70s and most of the names of these guitars come from the uh the decals they started as decals that jerry would put on them uh but ultimately per the article doug Irwin, who was his luthier if i'm pronouncing it correctly a maker of guitars um saw what jerry was doing and started to actually create the the decals with with inlay into the wood on the face of the guitar. So uh, Jerry started with Alligator, uh, which was an original 57 Fender Stratocaster that he played in the early 70s. Then when he met Doug Irwin, he started with Wolf uh, throughout most of the 70s. Um, and then after that was followed by Tiger, uh, which was another inlay guitar made by Doug Irwin. Uh, and then Jerry ultimately wound up with Rosebud and Lightning Bolt. Through most of my career, uh, he seemed to be playing Rosebud, which was a skeleton-like deadhead hippie chick um, kind of dancing at the bottom of his guitar. Um, and it just became uh, the kind of thing that deadheads would like to talk about. Oh, I saw Jerry when he played Wolf. I saw Jerry when he played that. Um, you know, and, 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 and I can't admit to being enough of a uh, student of music to be able to sit there and, and tell you that I can uh, distinctly call out the different notes and different sounds of all of the guitars uh, but I can tell you that Jerry has very distinctive sounds at different eras and different times in his career. Uh, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with the instrument he was playing. Yes. A lot of the shows I saw <clears throat> in the eighties and early nineties were, were Tiger and then Rosebud um, with the guitars. I remember seeing he even mm -hmm. talks in this article about uh, Warren Haynes playing it at Red Rocks in 2016, which it's a show I unfortunately missed. I wish I had gone to that. So, um, yeah, all very interesting. Hopefully we'll have some live music to talk about here soon. Um, 
Well, you know, that's the beauty of uh, the Grateful Dead and Fish, isn't it, Jim? That even when there's no live music to talk about, they have such history and such stories and such great stuff that, you know, even in a dry spell like this, we don't really have to work very hard uh, to find good things to talk about. And, you know, it helps when you have a producer who's a good uh, finder of good stories. And the marijuana industry always keeps us on our toes. It does. I have to say, you know, whether it's driving you crazy or, or you know, making you making you smile with pride, it's 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 busy and it 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 really keeps us moving. And I have to say, Jim, uh, and I know and I know I've told this story before, but it, it's just worth repeating that when I heard you present at the 2013 MJ Biz uh, conference in Seattle in 2013, you made a statement, and it always has stuck with me. You called it how wonderful this is and how it's a cornucopia of billing for professionals and at the time i heard it and i knew what you were talking about but it hadn't happened in illinois and 2014 15 16 and i kept playing with this phrase in my head a cornucopia of billing well i can tell you that now that we've caught up and we have adult use i know exactly what you're talking about and for the first time i can relate to it and it's a wonderful feeling to be at that point um, in my professional career, uh, where so much of my work has now been dedicated to stuff w in, in the marijuana industry, and there just seems to be no shortage of it. Yes. Um, in fact, I worked all through the holiday weekend because there was really no April 15 tax deadline in 2020 due to the COVID virus. Right. So that deadline has been kicked to September 15th. So we have a lot of tax returns that are due on September 15th. And October 15th. So um, unfortunately, my uh, prediction came true, or for better or worse. Um, we're glad to have the work, but right now we're really pushing to get out our last several dozen tax returns for 2019, including my own. Well, that's what my father always would tell me, you know, be careful of what you wish for, right? Mm -hmm. All I want to do is be a busy marijuana attorney, and now I'm on the phone with people in India until 1130 at night. <laughs> it's fun. But it's tiring. It is. It really is tiring. Well, very good. Um, I think we're coming to the end of our time slot here. So um, excellent. Unless you have anything else, I will uh, say fairly well for now from Longmont, Colorado. Well, thank you, Jim, and fairly well indeed from uh, Chicago, Illinois. To all of our listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, uh, enjoy cannabis responsibly, and listen to the Grateful Dead. Thank you. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, 
real life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.